Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who will suckle damn near anything. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and just y- yes, just, just whip whip those bad Are boys you? out and just stick them in anything's mouth. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. I'm the one. I'm the one that doing is the, de- the so suck. Here's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, it's not really heavily recorded. The American English definition of suckle has. Um, slowly started to shift people have uh-huh. become, and it's been happening for a while it's not really super well documented but it does exist there's papers about it and stuff for some reason americans started to understand suckle as the action done by the child rather than yes, yes. the action done by the uh, by the adult uh yes it, it is See, traditionally in, Amer- in english it is traditionally the thing that the adult does not the verb is the adult's action not the child's action Okay, I'm glad that you explained that because now all of our American English-speaking listeners who were confused, uh, much in the way that well, I was, it is, it is now even know. in traditional American English, it's just changed in like the last like something went wrong. And, oh yeah, and I it's one of those weird things. It's probably like the what is it like the it's it's similar in in sort of like in vibe for me to like the Great Lakes vowel shift where it's like what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Like why are we doing this? Stop. You're saying bus wrong. Interesting. Uh, but like <laughs> but no, it's it's a thing. Like for some reason, like if you look in the dictionary still to this day, it hasn't acknowledged the shift, but like academic papers have. It's just like somehow wires got crossed and now suckle is the thing that the baby does. So like books make no fucking sense to Amer- to like really modern English speakers. It's like yeah. So like, no, 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 no. That's what the parent does. The parent suckles. Like, I don't know. It's and so what's happened is is a lot of modern writers in the last like couple decades have started right using the term "give suck to" for the parents, yeah. which is an even which is also works in English, but is weirder. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like, like that to fill in um, the gap. Or they just switch right. to the term no, "breastfeed," which I think is. Sounds much more vulgar than suckle because I think suckle sounds pretty fun as a word. Obviously, we have the noun suckling, which is also throwing throwing things in here. Right. Well, I'm so really excited to talk about. Fun words. thing about suckling um, is is uh, it's the uh, origin uh, of suckle. Weirdly enough, because suck German and English both have um, have um, you know related origins, right? Flemish and stuff. Uh, right. Suckling right. obviously is a diminutive form of referring to a a thing, small thing that yes. sucks. And then we back we back from right. suckle from suckling, but it has to do with the adult. Not I don't know. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. No. No. The interesting thing that's that's coming to light here that it never occurred to me is that the being giving the milk is suckling. Uh, the being taking the milk is just sucking. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. That, like, that's just we how have it a is. verb for yeah. that. The baby sucks. Well, speaking of sounding like a weirdo and using the wrong form of the word suckling, one of my favorite reviews. Quoted in the Wikipedia page of this of this movie, Joseph John Lanthier, writing for Slant Magazine, has this pool quote oh, I on Wikipedia. Hate this quote. He gave it three out of five stores. <laughs> Suckling as it does from the budding teat of pre-adolescent sexuality, it's not surprising that Black Moon is a tad malnourished. I hate I hate that quote so much.
Well, Pat, before we get into our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion over there for a dollar a month. You can help keep us going. You get access to some bonus content. We watch a wide variety of films over there, always non-criterion films. Uh, we've watched everything from, hey, a Louie Mall film, God's Country. That was a really great episode. Uh, to, let's say, Ready Player One. Not as great a film. No, it's not as uh, great. I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, but uh, Listen, no. No, certainly it's we not the worst movies film we've ever watched for this project. Hate, though, to be fair, we've watched movies on the main podcast that I've oh, hated well, yeah, worse that's than Ready a Player One. <laughs> that one dollar gets you the vote on what we're going to watch. Gets you access to the, the whole back catalog. There's over seventy episodes over there already. A little above that, at uh, five dollars. Well, for folks at that level, they get thanked on air. And thank you so much to everybody at the five dollar mark. Because it really helps pay our bills, keep us going. Everybody at the one dollar mark too, but you don't pay extra. Well, to get your name read. Mainly the deal is really you didn't. Yeah, you us. didn't fill out the form that said I want somebody to say my name. Right, right, right. You click that box and you pay your extra four dollars. This is what somebody you get. says your name. Thank you so much Damn to our five dollar supporters. Thank, thank you so much to our five dollar supporters: Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Yes, thank you. A little above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note on the back, and send that off once a month. We also like to thank our $10 and above supporters on air. Thank you so much to Neil Bajnak, Tracy McGrath, Jason Westhaver, Adam Speakerman, and Patrick Yako, our current $10 yes, thank and you above all. supporters. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. Our store will come up and you can see past postcards. Buying them as postcards, greeting cards, stickers, uh, buttons, some of them, and a few other things. Uh, if you see something there that you know Redbubble offers and you want one of Pat's pictures on it, you send me a request and I'll I'll make it happen. Uh, that's why there's a t-shirt, for instance. Thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything off that Redbubble. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon and has over the years. And thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Pat. What? After last week's Zaze Dons La Metro, one would think we'll never see another Louis Mall film. And we yet, would be somehow, wrong. this week, you would be so wrong. Right back at it. Another Louis Mal. Uh, Malé uh, is a is a favorite of ours. We've you know we've liked Malé films since the very first one. Um, well, okay, we've liked Malé films since the very first set. Maybe not the very first one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Malé is a weird is a weird character in the sense that like. He has made some stuff I really, really, really liked, and then some stuff where I'm like, I don't know about this. Uh, yeah. Mainly it has to do with, like, his choice of subject matter. It's more like sometimes yeah. just is, like, something I, I – we I remember one of them for sure. One of my big complaints was he seemed to, at that time, epitomize the sort of French obsession with, with male coming-of-age stories. Like yes. Like his was just the most that it could be, and it was like right. I think it was the one about right. incest or something like that, or maybe it wasn't the incest one. Murmur of the yeah. heart is definitely the one you're thinking of, um, and yes, and then the Com- that was the very first one we watched, and then the Camusian and Au Revoir Les Enfants, uh, which Au Revoir Les Enfants is, is fucking amazing. It's an amazing movie, and the yeah. Camusian um, is like we we had issues with it, but also like on a fundamental yeah, level, but I kind of liked it. 
It has a lot of really interesting things exactly. going on with Le Comme Lucien. Uh, those were all part of a box set, and that was the first Molle film we watched. And then very shortly after that, we put Molle on a bonus episode. We wanted to watch one of his documentaries, and we watched God's Country. Uh, and God's Country was great. Yes, we both love God's Country. Since movie. then, we've watched <laughs> Elevator to the Gallows, The Lovers, yeah. The Fire Within, yeah. My Dinner with Andre. Uh, which we both I, my brain as always well. forgets that um, my dinner with Andre is a is a Molly. It, like it, it, my brain can't yeah. handle that information, right. despite the fact that it it should. I don't know. It's it's every right. time you say it's, it, I'm like, what? The only of like, his, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's it's the only of his American films we've seen so far, and and now with Black Moon, the only other one in English that we've seen so far. So it's definitely uh, an outlier. Uh, to what we watched, and then of course last week we had Zazie Don's La Metro, our most which recent I, one, which again we liked. Um, I, I, I Zazie Don's yeah, La Metro, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, a lot of very interesting things. So like Zazie Don's La Metro, uh, Black Moon is also surrealist. Um, Zazie is early sixties. Uh, it is bright. It's happening at the same time as the French New Wave is coming into its own. Uh, Malé, not necessarily a French New Wave director, but it's also his third movie. Prior to Zazie, he'd only done Elevator to Gallows and The Lovers. Um, just prior to Black Moon, he had just done Le Comme Nous Chien, and just before that, Murmur of the Heart. In both instances, <laughs> Elevator to the Gallows, The Lovers... Compared to Zazie, very different movies. Yes. Murmur of the Heart, Le Camnushin, compared to Black Moon, very different movies, but all coming-of-age stories uh, in interesting ways. Yeah. Not uh, Zazie, obviously, also a sort of coming-of-age story, whereas The Lovers in Elevator, not. But, uh, yeah, I just named six films, but uh, <laughs> throw <laughs> throw the other ones from, from the Criterion Collection in there. This is just a really eclectic director. Yeah, he is. And he's I making think that's what, very one of different that makes tales. Him so fascinating is like we've never yeah. watched a I, we have yet to watch a thing from him that is the same as the last thing like a previous thing yeah. we watched from him. Like every single one yeah, we, is pretty wildly different. Yeah. Nothing nothing retreading really at all so far. Uh and maybe he does at some point. Uh but so far what Criterion has shown us well, has I mean, not, his filmography list like is not retread. really that long. I suspect, I don't know how many more Molly films we have, but I'm kind of starting to develop this sort of idea that, like, oh, like like, I, like we said, like, we may never get a repeat. You know what I mean? Like, they may right, literally right, right. all be different beginning to end. Like, we'll just never see anything that's yeah. like anything else. And it's like, it's kind of a fun thing for a... Um, to kind of discover a director like that because a lot right. of the directors we've no, come really in, like is. we watch a more of an evolution of their style, right? If I'm looking at some of the other, really any of the other French directors we've watched, mostly it's a, there's a sort of, you can like trace a path through their style, right? Like as they slowly right. evolve, they're making lots of movies and every movie is some, is sort of a, is a departure from the previous film, but still shares roots with it. Whereas these ones, like right. you, if you didn't know they were the same director, I don't think you could figure that out. Yeah, yeah. So far, in our experience with Malay, 
he doesn't even necessarily have a style where I could see a random movie and think that's got to be a Malay film. I can do that with Kurosawa. I can do that with Godard. I can do that with Fellini, certainly, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I Fellini, do that it's almost Hitchcock. child's play. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> right, 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 like, right. But yeah, but the thing, yeah, you exactly. You can't do that with Malay, like, as far as we could tell, right? Like, we may be missing some stuff, yeah. but, like, we've seen, like... I mean, again, he only had... He only made, like, 20 movies total or something. 20... I, right, I, right, I, right, I, I haven't actually counted the list, but... Uh, I don't know. I can't. I'm not good with math, but uh, it's probably I guess 30. Yeah. But like compared to a lot of those directors we just talked about, that's nothing. Like a lot of those directors we just talked about made fucking just hundreds endless yeah. list of movies. Especially if you're getting into something <laughs> like Kurosawa. And, and then yeah. and then it, with those directors, right? They have a style, a distinct enough style that even if you have gotten it wrong, you've probably gotten it wrong because somebody is actively aping their style. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas I don't know how you. You, I don't, I can't imagine this. This sentence is getting more convoluted in my head by the minute. I can't imagine how somebody could ever ever make like, well, I did this in the style of Molly. It's like, well, what the fuck right. does that mean? That means you could, nothing, I guess. You could do it in a style of an a individual specific movie. Molly. Absolutely, Certainly I would argue that ate. something like um, somehow or another, I feel a real spiritual connection between Children of Men and this movie. I oh, don't yeah. know exactly yeah. what no, it is, definitely. but it feels like, oh, you, if somebody told me Children of Men was actively trying to copy, to a certain extent, Black Moon style, I'd be like, yeah, okay. I believe you. Yeah. I think uh, I I would have to revisit Children of Men to really dig into it and see, but I think similar to this movie, there might not be any natural sunlight. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. In children that of men absolutely at all. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, no direct sunlight, right? The whole point is like right. no direct sunlight. There, there's, it's like, oh well, we just have to hang out inside until the clouds come in, and then we can go film a little <laughs> bit more. I would believe that. Right, or right, if right. it's not, if they didn't do it that way, they certainly use visual effects and like and fucking like recoloring to make it seem like that happened in children. Of right. Men. Yeah. Uh, they may have been. They may have yeah. been easier children to just recolor. Children of men is a similarly, <laughs> yeah, gray bluish. Sort yeah, of the color palette movie, is absolutely right? very similar. It's, yeah. it's it's a depressing color palette in the same way as this one is. Um, yeah, uh, limited cast in this movie. Um, maybe that's a Molly thing. <laughs> no, certainly last week's movie had a pretty extensive. Yeah, cast. last week's movie like um, literally had an endless cast. I couldn't name every person in that yeah. fucking movie. I'm not even sure the credits yeah. named every person in that movie. <laughs> Oh, probably not. Uh, even reusing everyone for every crowd movie or every crowd scene. Yeah, it's still um, but 50 yeah. people. Uh, an interesting group of people here in this one. Joe D'Alessandro, who is uh, Brother Lily, is how he's credited. Um, we've seen him before. Uh, he is one of the factory folks uh, and was, had main roles in both Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. Wonderful. Which we watched many, many years ago. <laughs> um, he's He certainly had an extensive career. I don't know that we've seen him in anything else for the Criterion Collection. Therese Geis, who plays the old woman in this, is the grandmother from Le Comme Lucien, uh, the Jewish girl's grandmother at the end of Le Comme G- Lucien. Um the film is actually dedicated to her because it was sort of her idea. Uh, at least she planted the seed with Male, who, uh, while making Le Comme Lucien, she suggested to him to make a movie with no dialogue. 
And in thinking about making a movie with no dialogue, this is what Molly ended up with. Right, a movie with it's relatively a movie with limited, very limited dialogue, dialogue. And then half the dialogue yeah. is incomprehensible to the viewer. <laughs> right, right, right. Particularly what uh, Gish herself is saying, right? <laughs> which is which is gibberish in multiple so languages. So her name would be pronounced Gisei. Gisei. It should be Gisei. Gise. There we Gise go. Probably, Good. probably yeah. Z pronunciation, but yeah, Gisei. Therese Gizeh, yes. The film is also dedicated to her uh, in the credits uh, because she died shortly after shooting had completed um, and then was brought back to life through some sort of weird dream and then died again by the end of the movie. Uh, no, wait, that's just the plot. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, Alexandra Stewart, who plays Sister Lily, was Molly's partner at the time, which I... Mention mostly only because it means Catherine Harrison, our female lead, was not someone Lewis Molly was trying to get with, right? Which right. is often the case right, right. for movies like this, and and as such, I'm just happy that it's not true. But yeah, Catherine Harrison, she she done act. This actually isn't her uh, premiere. Uh, she'd been in other films prior to this, uh, but she is 16, 15 or sixteen here. One thing that's, I mean, maybe maybe because it's not a director trying to get with her. Uh, one thing that I find very interesting about this movie is this is obviously a movie about a sexual awakening uh, in which the female lead isn't necessarily sexualized. Uh, that was kind of one of the observations I wanted to make when we were talking about this because we got real nervous, right? Like when we started reading about the cast yeah. list and everything like that, it's like, well, like it is about it, it's hard. It's hard to say this movie fits into a really interesting category. It's about an awakening. It's about coming of age and awakening. But it's hard to say whether or not it's about sexual or just more like the more the concept of awakening in general, like coming to grips mm-hmm. with the fact that like, coming to adulthood. Yeah, like period. there's a world yeah. around you and you know about it and it and it sucks and it's you have to yeah. engage with it, uh, but you don't want to engage with it like it because it sucks and like and so like I think that that line makes it really a little bit easier in the sense that like there's. There's kind of very little to no sexuality in this movie at all. Like at least explicit sexuality. It's it's very Right. There may be metaphors, but like he didn't sexy it up. You know what I mean? Like it's right. never at any point is it trying to like this movie it never at any point is trying to get anybody nobody is horny and nobody is it's trying to not trying to make anybody horny. You know what I mean? Like it's which is nice. There are- There are reviews of this movie that describe the brother and sister as incestuous. And there are moments where they are certainly more affectionate than, than a normal brother and sister. Maybe I would argue though. I think most um, of that stuff is the reviewers baggage more than anything. Right. Like I, 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 think, I think, I think that might be something the viewer is bringing to it. Right, too, exactly. As well. yes. I, I, cause like really it, yeah. not my impression to a certain extent. And like my, the interview with, um with Molly didn't really change this is that like, to a certain extent, Molly tried to create sort of a, a sort of an empty box that the viewer could yeah. pour things into. To a certain extent, like there's a lot of seeming metaphors, but not necessarily explicit metaphors that the user, the viewer has to like derive their own meaning from. You know what I mean? Like it's about coming right. of age in the sort of broad sense, but then like you're, it's up to the audience to do everything else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. It just it feels like it's more of a cipher yeah. than it is anything else. It's it's very strange. 
an interesting thing about this movie is that Molly essentially wrote it in automatic writing. Uh, yeah, I, you I can don't kind of know feel that, that right? <laughs> I don't know that he went into like a trance-like state that automatic writing right, right, sort, right, of, yeah. sort of implies. But 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 um, it's well, so maybe not yeah. automatic. But um, um, what's the term? There's another term for like when you write like stream of consciousness writing to a certain extent, where you're just, yeah, like, you're yeah, not just yeah. like in a trance, but you are just allowing like yeah. kind of whatever phrase pops into your head or whatever idea pops in your head. It's just like goes on the fucking right. paper. No yeah. no self-editing, essentially. Right. Except, here's where the self-editing right. comes in, and it's sort of interesting to to what he might be trying to he- do here. With Zazie, everything was very anarchic um, in, in a colloquial sense. It's very, you know, whatever crazy idea we have, we'll throw it in right, right, sort of yeah. thing. Here, Male while claiming to do this sort of automatic writing, uh, also was self-editing repeatedly and said whenever whenever something like a plot popped up, he'd cut that bit out. Okay. Uh, so he's actively working against a coherent through line right. in the movie. Right. Well, I, I, but yeah, and yeah, yeah, that certainly is counter to the idea that it's all automatic or something like that. Right. But, like, it kind of fits with, like, what I was saying is that, like, there seems to be a direct interest in making a thing with no, with just, I don't know, just a, a blank canvas on which the, the viewer can write their own sort of story, right? Like, there is no story, really. Right, right. So, I mean, there is a story because, t- unfortunately, despite Molly's best efforts, this <laughs> he, thing happens over the passage of that time. Thing. Yes. And because things happen right, right, over the right. passage of time... Ta-da, you got a fucking story, bud, whether you like it or not. It may not be a very coherent story, but it is one because the you know, at a funda- on a fundamental level, things happened over time. So therefore right, right, right. a story happened. Like I could tell the story of what happened in this movie. It just won't make a lot of fucking sense. Yeah. Um I will say uh one other maybe not just a reviewer bringing baggage to to the review to say the brother and sister are incestuous is they do sing a duet of Tristan is old uh, from Wagner and that is a love song. Yeah, so that's true. There's I mean, that aspect too. That's but. very true. I mean, again, it's one of those things where like I think it's similar to the sort of like the awakening portions of the like sort of concept of the movie yeah. where it's like, yeah, that that is true, and it's probably not exactly wrong to say, but like the amount of work your brain had to do to make that reality is so much significantly more than what Molly had to do to make that thing. You know what I mean? Like it it sounds weird, like the way I'm trying to put it, but like, yes, they do sing a love song duet, which is maybe weird for siblings, assuming they're siblings. We, they do refer yeah. to each other, like bearing in mind that brother and sister in classical terms can mean a lot of things that aren't, we're related by blood. Um, right. There's right, a lot right, of information right. not provided, right? Citation needed sort of stuff where it's like, okay, well, Molly didn't tell us fucking anything. So you're like, you're deriving <laughs> your, everybody, not you, but like people in general are deriving almost all their information from inferences and sort of like half- present gestures in the movie that like 
right are are all at best I mean, half existent and half not yeah also both those characters named are lily they kind of look like each other uh he kind of looks like our main character lily uh and this whole thing might be in her head anyway so the idea that they are uh just uh, different accent aspects of her psyche well, or I mean, the, the masculine feminine that she might be growing into or plenty of other right, interpretations well, of, there's a very, of them as non-literal humans. Right. There's right. a, there's a quite a, there's a very easy interpretation, especially when you consider the sort of the ending of the movie where she's in the bed of the old lady. There's a very much like I'm becoming right. this person sort of thing, which right. is like about becoming older, right? Becoming, you know, we assume, I assume from my reading, about growing up, and then the inevitable conclusion of growing up is growing old, right? Um, right. And so it's like, and okay, well, that seems very in your head. That's not a real thing that's happening, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. And the cyclical nature of growing old as well, because the old woman has a very uh, petulant, childish interaction with the world, right? Until the point where uh, she is replaced by a child. Uh, for uh, for Lily to breastfeed her and pick her up and coddle her as she walks right. around the room, right? Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> there are ideas of aging and aging into and out of uh, adulthood uh, that are definitely at play here. And on top of that, it's dream logic. It's Alice in Wonderlandish. It's uh, got this blanket metaphor of a literal battle of the sexes that I'll be honest when I started thinking about watching this movie as uh, as the description I had being an experimental fantasy horror uh, near future uh, civil war between men and women I had a totally made in 1975 yes, yeah. <laughs> I had I had major major uh, trepidation me too <laughs> about uh a french man making a movie in 1975 that seemed to be explicitly about uh second wave feminism we've seen those before they're not that great well and, and what uh, and Malay, as per course sort of defied expectations and yes like basically made a movie that is fucking impossible to write tags for on like a database <laughs> like you know what I mean? Right, like it's right, essentially right. like all the every single one of those tags, except for possibly the word fantasy, is at yeah. best half true. There's yeah, it's horror in as much as it is creepy at times, and yeah. and like is kind of a scary world to live in. But it's not a horror. It's film. horror in as much as it's comedy, right? Really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Some of them have both. Some of them say comedy and horror. Uh, yeah, fantasy in the sense that, like, well, I guess anything surreal is fantasy, right? But it's not like it's certainly not high fantasy. It's not even low fantasy. It's flight of fantasy yeah. uh, more than fantasy. It's it's every single tag that is applied to it is at some core. Like it's a battle of the sexes, sort of, but it it is it it's more of like a child's conception of the battle of the sexes rather than like a. Yeah. Any sort of like real war yeah. movie, right? It's childish, but it's childish on purpose. Molly is getting into the fact that like it's the mind of a fifteen year old. The right. battle of the sexes is a yeah. is I a think... literal fucked up little war happening. Yeah. 
I think we brought up House last week. Yeah. But in many ways, this made me think of House, too. I can see that. It's stylistically different, but like mentally. Obviously, very, very, very similar very, place yes. mentally in many ways, right? Yeah. Whereas, whereas House, uh, the way House came about was the director of House asked his, what, eight-year-old daughter what her biggest fears were, right, basically, yeah. and then wrote a movie where, where teenage girls interact with those fears. I think if the kid had been 11 or 12... Yeah, twelve. Something, something more like, that, 13, like this 14, might yeah, have come yeah. out. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, because I think this is this is very well capturing the sort of trepidation of a fourteen, fifteen year old girl looking at the world in nineteen seventy five. Right. Uh, well, and and even even outside of nineteen seventy five, just the idea that like you're young, you're old enough to understand there there is a male there's a male female sort of dynamic in the world you live in. But not quite old enough mm-hmm. to have, like be a part of it per se. You are yeah. obviously because this this young woman is a part of it, and for, like it or not, like young women are brought into that world, no, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like that's just the nature of like sort of patriarchal system and stuff like that. Is that like she has to participate in it whether she likes it or not? But she, it's still right. it's still somewhat. At a, at a, at arm's length to a certain extent, right? It doesn't. She's not per se, quote unquote, in the war, right? She's still somewhat outside of it, a, an observer, right? It's it's interesting. It's it it is maybe one of the very few kind of quote unquote coming of age story movies that we've seen that I don't actively despise. <laughs> Just There's because been it takes it in such actively a... liked. No, I know, I know. I, I'm being a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit dramatic, <laughs> a bit uh, hyperbolic. But, but what I mean is, like, it's not engaged. It, it doesn't engage with it in the way that so many of those do, which, frankly, usually is kind of gross. Yeah, because yeah, they whenever like a French, a French director specifically decides that they want to talk about coming of age, the it come down brass tacks they want to talk about sex and then they always end up putting a young person into sexual situations and this movie is talking about that conversation in a sort of a much more broader social level that doesn't feel necessarily despite the fact that it does have bad choices as far as like nudity in it do not yeah. feel gross in the same way that a lot of those movies feel gross. Like I can't I can't get right. around the fact that it doesn't feel as gross as many of those movies we've watched. Yeah. I mean and it 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 really boils down to how those particular scenes are framed and shot right. too, right? Like the nudity in Walkabout is not sexual nudity per se. Right? It just She's feels more voyeuristic than a, anything else. It feels kind of gross right. in a different way. Right, and that's because of the way it's shot. Uh, whereas the nudity here, one, it is a non-sexual nudity, but is still an adult nudity because she's she's breastfeeding, right? Right. It it's, is. Uh, it is. It is. It, in many ways, it is toying with a with a with a thing that is a constant sort of point of social um, kind of a stress, which is the fact that like breastfeeding a child is not fundamentally a sexual act unless you make it a sexual act, like unless you like treated right. as a society as a sexual act it's only right that way because of the viewer rather than the view than the the doer you know what i mean if that makes sense right right yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, do I think that uh, Molly should have should have shot it in a way? I mean, Molly could where, have just uh, cast where her a, a slightly a young looking adult. Like would right. have worked fine. And things like that happen all the time. Like I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. It was not necessary to actually cast a child. Right. I mean, we could talk about the children right. chasing the pigs. That's a different sort of matter because you get into some real issues, but also you kind of like from an artistic perspective run into a problem of like, well, there are no adults that look nine years old. They don't exist. Right. You right. can't hire adults to do That's also thing. a holy a wholly non-sexual nudity, and it is a nudity that re- represents innocence. Right. right? It, it is meant to reflect the uh, fact that, that a seven-year-old will sometimes just run around naked for some fucking reason in many ways, right? Right. right. And the sort of the savagery, yeah, they're, the, they're, the sort of line between innocent childish and savagery that sort of exists sort of in every society, this idea that you're it's a fine right. line right there between and the two. Right. In as much as this is a literal future civil war battle between the sexes, these are feral children who have been left to their own devices. Well, and they're being herded. Um, they are hurting the pig, and then the adults are hurting the children. It's very... Right. You know. Yeah. Well, it's it's, uh, it's very much a commentary then, on the way that children are treated by society in general, right? They are the, the sort of the feral ones yeah. that we herd like animals, right? Like, they're not... We yeah. don't treat them like people. We treat them like animals. And we open that radio. What's playing on the radio when it opens? She's she's bouncing between channels, but uh, but I wrote down the text because it was, I mean, one, it's the first words of the movie, right? Right. And and first words and last words are always something to keep in mind. Right. Um, the the radio says, "Shall I describe to you the crime and vice that is being committed in the large cities of the world?" I don't suppose. And then it sort of fades out, right. and and we get another station. I want to talk about your sin, uh, and I think that's that's when that's when the gunshots start. <laughs> it's after I want to talk about right, your sin. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, but it's a pretty quiet movie, right? Right. Oh, I think the I think that Tristan and his old song starts playing. Actually, they do. Right that is that, that tends to be a theme again. throughout the whole but, yeah. thing. I'm also fascinated by the fact that, like, you know. Right. That that sort of that framing makes me think about something slightly different that I didn't consider when I was watching, which is like you also sort of end up in a sort of Garden of Eden sort of scenario kind of idea right, too, right. right? You know, are any of these people where sort of in the sort of broader sort of sense of of their their existence as sexual beings or not? And then like, what? How does one enter or leave the garden and stuff like that? Is sort of a, a and, and sin and yeah. things like that tend to be seem to be a theme to again yeah. Molly just sort of made a blank canvas in which you can paint whatever fucking picture you want right uh, right right and we could we could spend hours talking oh, you about could make how up a million the old woman different who interpretations to leave of this her fucking movie man she she could definitely be God in an Adam and Eve Absolutely. Garden of Eden sort of thing 100%. where brother and sister Lily are Adam and Eve and the rest of these feral children are are something something different uh and maybe even in that instance, Lily becomes a Lilith, uh, and and we we could dive down that route yeah, for absolutely. an hour. I mean, but uh, I, I I in that sense, 
you know, there's one of the reviews of the movie describes it as something like a baffle. I forget exactly what the the quote is. It's like a baffling. Uh, Vincent Vincent Canby calls it baffling and beautiful and occasionally very funny. And and, uh, which and it's is a very, very accurate description very of this movie, too, right? Yeah. Like, and and the thing yeah. about it is, is that like it's one of those times where like the term baffling is like a compliment, right? Like this movie yeah. on a fundamental level, I really like it because you could watch it. I think. Maybe not forever, but for a very, very long time, and you would never get an answer to like essentially any question right. you ask it. It's sort of like it'll just shrug at you and be like, "I don't know. What do you think?" Um, and so, yeah, but it's not—it's not actively disengaging. No, no, no. As yeah, it it's like, yeah. Too, it's, right? it's hard to explain <laughs> the feeling of watching it. It's what I mean yeah. is it's it's was it like. Socratic almost in a, in a weird sort of way where it's like yeah. asking you to answer all the questions like well I don't yeah. know you tell me like what do you think about because like it has no answers in it it just provides none right right and and, and like oh, you ahead. know Sorry. the war scenes the war scenes we have this battle of the sexist thing right but the the first execution the the first gunshots we see uh, the women are being actively killed by being shot in their breasts right well, there's a bunch of weird things that like tweak it too, right? Like one of the one of the soldiers goes over and like kisses one of them on both cheeks kisses like a one child, them, yeah. like or like a like a family member, like a close relation, right. and then they shoot him. It's like you're getting into right. this sort of like Molly's playing with this dynamic from this from this young woman's perspective of like sort of the complications of these relationships, right? That like right. That no none of this is straightforward. There's no like there's no straightforward interpretation and of the even, relationships that exist between people. And even familial relationships can be dangerous. Right, exactly. And, uh, and, and the idea that, like, well, you know, and if you could extend that further, right, like, the two lilies, like, what is their relationship? Well, we don't know, right? Like, relationships are between people are complicated and, like, nuanced. Right. I am actually getting mentally sidetracked about thinking about the old woman as God. I mean, well, that's the thing, right? But <laughs> trying like, not to go down that route. Is the old much, woman God but... or is Lily God? Because clearly, if we're going to go on, like, in some ways, right, it's very easy to look at and say, okay, well, Lily creates this world. Like, it's, right, if, if right, you're going right. to get one, if I got one thing from this movie, it's that this all exists in Lily's head. Because the closest we get to any answer, in my opinion, is the old woman talking to Lily about the world or making fun of Lily says something to the effect of she thinks there's a war on she's it's, right, the old woman right, applies right, right. that the that, that Lily is delusional or yes. at least and the old sees the old woman also says yeah the old woman also says that Lily is imagining the unicorn and the unicorn later tells you it tells Lily that the old woman doesn't exist right exactly and yeah everyone disappears at the end of the movie except for Lily too right and then the unicorn reappears after everyone disappears right. so uh, right yeah. even even uh, the things that you think the movie might be telling you always have a but wait a minute sort of element to them yeah. right some something to 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 say well that's not as straightforward as you want it to be you can't ever just, just read it straight through uh I don't know. I just I find it deeply fascinating. I don't. Yeah, I, it's really like I don't. I don't. You could just waste so much time on this. And what I'm saying, what I'm really saying is, fuck Christopher Nolan. 
You think you know how yeah, to make probably. a baffling movie? No, 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 no. Was it was what's the line from Batman from the Batman movie about being like born into darkness or whatever like that? You merely adopted the dark. No, 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 no. We found the person who understands how to make a baffling fucking movie. Yeah, uh, I don't know that Louis Malle was born into baffling movies. No, but no, but maybe. he certainly he certainly is the is. This shows me some real some real a real knack for it. I gotta tell you. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I would offer. I would argue that probably if we're gonna pick somebody who was born into baffling movie, it was probably Bergman. But uh, just in, just in terms of like, just like, oh nope, I made them all like that. Never made one that wasn't like that. Beginning to end, they're all like this. They're they're inter- but they are interpretable. The thing about you know Bergman is that right. you can actually interpret a Bergman movie. Good fucking luck on this one. Yeah. 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 No, this is a. <laughs> One of the most interesting things about this movie is that it is purposefully uninterpretable to a certain extent, which is what makes me really love the interview with Male that we get as a bonus feature. And it's the only bonus (laughs) feature uh, in which he spends the majority of it complaining about people asking him what the movie means. Uh, (laughs) It does feel like you asked for this, man. Like you got what you asked for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is... Like even Antichrist, I, I I could find more meaning in. No, I'm, than, well, that's the thing, right? Is Antichrist on a fundamental level is interpretable. It is. It is. Yeah. The, the director seems to have had a point and was trying to express that point. Um, right. The right, thing right. about this is, is Molly to a certain extent see, and now mind you, that is a point. Like on a, it's a meta point, right? Like right. Molly actively avoided having a point. Right. Which is a meta point, right? Like you can interpret it that way and say, like, well, I know what the point is. The point was to have no point. But but on a sort of like the base level, Molly seems to have actively avoided putting in things that could be directly di- like interpreted, which like makes it actually, you know, he was successful in the sense that you basically can't. You just you're not allowed. It's the movie right. doesn't let you. Right. I will I do need to call out Molly though, because at one point in that interview, he says, uh, essentially, you'd never dream of dragging a painter out in front of their painting and asking what they meant by it. I deserve. And obviously, it yes, you fucking would. Fucking happens all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, but here's a well. I, I you know Molly is, is Molly does have an axe to grind, in, in the sense that Molly's like kind of a little bit. Some of what we're getting here is Molly seems to have an active frustration with the with the. It's similar to, I would argue it's similar in many ways to what the the growing pains that something like video games is going through in a lot of ways in recent years and is going through now. And that, like, Mm -hmm. it's at the time he's making the movies, he still perceives that, like, film was viewed not purely in the as being as pure an art form as the the sort of traditional art forms, right? Uh, Right. We probably, in many ways, cross some of that boundary. I think most of the current generation of people just see movies as like they 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 make a fine line they they draw a line where they say this is art and this is not art for them right it's very because of the commercial endeavors associated with it but like when somebody when you say to somebody right. this is an artistic film they don't go but films can't be art they don't argue with you maybe i think in the same way that they probably even 30 40 years ago might have right the, the, the right the, but there's also a cottage industry of explaining movies even movies that don't need explanations. No, I, I agree, search, but th- that's just for, for paintings, any, too. I mean... Yeah, 
Name name any movie and Google the phrase that title ending explained and you will get a hit. No, I know, but no I, matter, I bet no you... No matter how I straightforward would, the ending of the movie I is. I bet you $8 million so. that you could do that with any painting, too, as long as it's well-known enough to have a Wikipedia article or whatever about That's it. Fair. But That's fair. My point fair. is is that yes. explaining art is not sort of... The argument... I, I, Molly, I think, has sort of conflated the two things because they probably both bother him at the same time. Yeah. But, like, my, my point is is that, like, the sort of, for lack of a term, the, the old heads who would have argued who would have been on French TV in the 1970s arguing that film isn't real art. They've all died. If they're right. not actually physically dead, their views are dead. They are, they're a non-issue yeah. now, right? No one, again, you might get an, an argument with somebody about whether a particular film is artistic or art or not, right? You know, like, and, and anybody who's injured, which you could have that argument about paintings and about books, right? Is that book, is that writing art or not, is an argument anybody could have about any piece of art, right? But the the art form, I don't think people are still having that argument anymore. We've moved on, right? Yeah. It's. I think it's been accepted into the greater mainstream of being like, well, this is a form of art. Um, And that's a battle that I think Molly was probably more in the middle of. Yeah, because he I guess I'm approaching it from the other end. In in his right, I guess I'm approaching it from the other end in thinking, uh, the battle isn't over whether or not the films are art, but over whether or not the artist should be forced to or even deserves a chance to explain their art. Well, no, I think I think uh, Molly's having both right? battles at the same time. Um, I, yeah, it, it, there's the, there's the battle that he sort of hints at about whether or not it's art or not which was a battle happening at the time and then there is does an artist need to explain their art should they have a chance to explain their art is their explanation relevant like is it is it death of the artist or not right instead of death of the author but those are the same basic concept right like do you get to decide what the movie or painting or book is about or does the author and you know the concept like you wouldn't drag a painter in front of their painting and ask them what it's about is of course a nonsense statement, right? Uh, right it happens right. all the time. Happen, happens all the time for all kinds of reasons. But at the same yes. time, I, I think Molly is resentful of the idea that like he feels, and he's not right, but he feels that, right. that his form of art is being mistreated relative to other forms of art. Yeah. You know, I think I think there's a bit think, of an axe that he's got to grind, where he's like, "Ah, oh, we're not treated like real artists." What with them asking us what our movies about? So maybe to a certain extent, with something like Murmur of the Heart, and to a certain extent with the Come Lucien, though the Come Lucien is obviously very overtly about collaboration and other things around the war. Um, th- there are films very recently in Molly's career where interpretive questions may be something he has to talk about a lot. But Zazie is just nonsense. And interpretively, Elevator to the Gallows, The Lovers, the other Molly films we've seen prior to this chronologically, aren't really confusing. No, no, yeah, that's true. Standpoint. I mean, like, Zazie Don's Don's Lametra, right? Yeah. Is. I could see people asking, but I think most people will be asking in sort of a playful way. Because it is, yeah, it's so silly, 
you 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 might yeah. ask somebody in a sort of fun way, like, "Hey, like, what did you? What were you trying to tell us with this weird, you know, X really silly scene?" Right. Um, right. I don't think that's the sort of thing that would, yeah. you know, get you know get up his crawl. You know. Now, now of course, with the lovers and with the nudity in the lovers, uh, he is someone who has probably had to defend his art as art versus pornography. Well, I think th- th- that's I, not. That that's, even, I think that might have been a thing that even came up, right? When we were talking, uh, I don't remember. Certainly, when we were talking about the lovers, yeah. yes, uh, because it was uh, banned in Ohio. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I thought it was, yeah. but I was like, "Am I thinking of the right movie?" I don't. The case around the lovers is the case that spawned the phrase. I don't I'll about know it when I see what, it or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll know. Yes, I know. I'll know it where I see it. Potter Stewart. Try asked to define pornography in court, a justice of the of the Supreme which it, US which Supreme is a very Court funny says. like it, it's one of those funny things yeah. that people drop, but it's also like what a fucking useless like it's in the end it's like what a fucking oh yeah stupid no thing absolutely to say. gotta yeah. gotta love American yeah. legal system just being the dumbest fucking thing you could think of yeah I mean the great thing is that Stewart did not consider the lovers well to be exactly pornography, it, 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 but yeah. still. It sort of does. But pay, still, it does eventually really pave the path dumb. to saying, like, well, like on a right. realistic Absolutely. sense, like you can't ban anything. Not really. Like you can't. Right. Right. Like right. it's just not acceptable are... to ban anything. Basically, it's sort of part of that path. But yeah, there are certainly people or municipalities who would consider Black Moon pornographic. Right. Even though there is no real sexual content in it. Uh, there is nudity, and as such, and that's all. And that's know, all they need. Like for for a lot too, of right. groups, that's like no. that's the whole. That's the whole. Right, kit and caboodle. That, that's all you need. Is you just need. Yeah, got some naked people in it. Porn. Done. Yeah. We figured it out. Now, the sort of black box tamale that we never have talked about. Uh, except in Whisper, I think. And maybe I've even said something similar to this before. His next film after this, in 1978, four years later, he makes Pretty Baby, which is the first American film. And Pretty Baby, we will... It's not part of the collection. We won't watch it. Right. Um, but Pretty Baby is... The film premiere, Brooke Shields. She is 12. She is playing a child prostitute, and she has nude scenes. Something like Pretty Baby. <laughs> and and there's a sort of rash of, of late 70s, early 80s, even American films where uh, something like uh, uh, Blue Lagoon, where there's uh, sort of the premiere roles of child actresses who go on to be well-known adult actresses. Uh, who are nude in, right, yeah. as kids. Yeah, that, as that was teens. a thing for a while. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I'm much less comfortable with uh, existing. Right. You know, I think there are, we've, we've talked about this in the past, and we talked about this even last week a little bit. Um, not that it really has much to do with Zazie, but we ended up talking about it because of the, uh, the Lolita connection with Zazie. Um, I don't think you would film something like the scenes 
Brooke Shields has in Pretty Baby in a way that is consensual, is not on coercive. Right, yeah, no, I and I think uh, you and I are we're we're all on we're on the yeah. same page with regard to <laughs> yeah. that stuff. That is it crosses a line into a world where now you are now you are doing exploitation. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't believe I've never seen Pretty Baby. I think I saw part of it on PBS once, if I remember correctly. Um back when back when I started watching PBS late night on Saturday because one week I happened to catch the the third man uh-huh. and then I was like wait our local PBS plays movies like this I've got to I've got to stay up every Saturday night and watch these right uh, so I started doing that um and then falling asleep halfway through most of them uh and I think pretty I think if I've seen any of pretty baby it wasn't under those circumstances but uh but I if I remember correctly the nude scene in that is a bathing scene, not a, not a, a like sex scenes. Um, but still, uh, you probably don't need it. Uh, well, I mean, and, that's the thing. And maybe yeah, even we, more so. Uh, we you don't, don't need it. We, we get into the idea that like. And you don't. Go ahead. You don't need a 12-year-old uh, to be played by a 12-year-old. Right. Even if you want and, to tell you your authentic story. you get into a question story. of like, you get into a very serious question of like, well, okay. Like. You're now dealing with somebody who, on a fundamental level, cannot consent to anything, really. Uh, can have feelings and, and should be taken, like, feelings should be taken into account and, and be a part of it. But, like, on a fundamental level, you as an adult are always going to be the more sort of person in the position of power. And, and, and you get into the question, like, how does this, like, come to pass that, like, this thing happens, right? Uh I don't know. It's 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 a it's it's just one of those things where like you yeah you kind of like do we need to do this this way like was this strictly speaking necessary? We'll never have to talk about Pretty Baby. We won't have the opportunity to explore the background of Pretty Baby. Um, Polly Platt wrote it. Polly Platt is generally someone I respect. Molly's generally someone I respect. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's not something. Well, we that's were very, very worried about Black Moon. But like, we were extremely worried about we Black were, Moon. We and were. like, yeah. Black Moon turned out to be like really defy explanation. So, like, I'm going to reserve right. judgment on it on a sort of fundamental level as something. Well, I've never seen yeah. it. I probably never will see it. And I, I kind right. of like don't want to like. Again, I was. Yeah. I was pretty. It's also laugh- not something I'm going to seek out. Right. Exactly. And it, I was pretty laughably wrong about my interpretation based on right. uh, of this movie. That I was is, very nervous. That is very true. That is very true. And yeah. this movie radically defied my expectations. Like, again, it it failed. The sort of concepts of genre and the concepts of, like, tagging and, like, declaring what a kind what kind of movie a thing is Yeah, just totally didn't, didn't work and didn't apply, right? Like, in this situation. And that makes me... This movie kind of calls to mind a thing that I, I should have known. I should I mean, I did know and I should have been more aware of that like those systems are layers that are applied on top of art, not fundamental to art. And and, yeah. and therefore often fail to truly convey anything of any, any real value uh, to the audience. Right. And, and you know because like I literally, as we said, I can't think of a single one of those tags that's 
accurate to what we watched. No. Not a single one. We've certainly had movies like that before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And they're going to fail even more in the future as they are increasingly written by robots. Oh, yeah. I mean, Uh, like, God, could you imagine, like, what an AI would think this movie is? Like, I can't even... Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Well, not to spend too much time wasting information and time talking about AI, but like an AI wouldn't even actually analyze the movie. An AI would just compile all the things other people have said about the movie and try to determine based on like, you know, sort of very essentially a large database what we think, what it thinks people think this movie is. It's just, it it would just be more horseshit topped on top of what is already horseshit, right? I, you know, so I will reserve judgment on Pretty Baby. I don't think I ever going to see it. But, like, yeah. again, Molly has right. continuously surprised the absolute shit out of me as a director. Right, Like, right, so right. I don't fucking know. I Like, he also, I mean, the man made fucking God's Country. That feels like it's out right. of fucking left field. It has seemingly no right. relationship to anything else he made. I don't fucking know, man. Right. Dude is just, yeah. like, a, just completely baffling. Yeah. Um. Molly does call this his most personally intimate film. Okay. Uh, the one, I suppose, closest to him. Which, you know, that sort of... The fact... If he actually wrote it, some sort of stream of conscious thing, that might be just him saying that in different words, too, right? Um, well, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that he also made it at his house. Right, yes, like yes. It does, a, that does feel fairly personal, film. right? Like he's like, it's kind yeah. of the opposite of what, uh, like, famously Adam Sandler just book, used to book movies based on like where he wanted to go on vacation. Uh, yes, and so now it's like this is the this is Molly's op- exact opposite version. Is like, how can I not leave my house? I would like to make a movie, but not have to leave home. What what do I have to do to make that happen? Ah, I will make it in my garden. Actually, in that way, it reminds me of uh, the. The 1995 Stuart Gordon movie Castle Freak. Oh yeah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. An actual, an actual horror film, uh, but it is filmed in a castle in Italy because producer Charles Band owned a castle in Italy, and the best reason to do <laughs> decided to start. Is, well, I already own this. Fucking decided castle. to start shooting, shooting is uh, shooting, having everybody shoot movies in it, probably so that he could charge his own production company rent. Well, probably so a combination of production company rent, and then yeah. also like, hey, look what, what look what this does to my taxes. Yeah, this is a, this yes. is a movie studio. This isn't my house. Uh, I wonder how many the pit and the pendulum too. I wonder how many. Uh, Ultimately, how many full moon movies were shot in in Charles Band's house? But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Molly's shooting at his house in the countryside near where Le Cum Lucien was filmed. Um, but uh, you know, also, you know, I already said Molly is not as bad as other French directors from the late sixties, early seventies we've seen interacting with feminism. Um, obviously mid seventies is later than most of those works, right? Uh, you know, Godard and Truffaut, when we've talked about 
where they're interacting with this, we're firmly in the 60s. Right. 68 of the latest, really. Um, so in as much as 74, 75 is the peak of second wave feminism, uh, this is sort of new territory for us with I mean, we, French directors, particularly, right. French but really we've anyone. We've definitely seen some... I think we've definitely seen some movies from the right, but I, oh yeah, I, I don't no know. doubt. But um, so one thing that the essay brings up, and the essay, which is by Jeanette uh, Vesendu, Vesendu uh, makes particular reference to the works of Georgina Colville, um, uh, who is a film scholar who uh. Bessendu says is one of the few scholars to take a scholarly look at this movie, particularly Black Moon. Okay. Um, and one reason is that Black Moon bombed at the box office, and it was very hard to see for <laughs> until the Criterion release, basically. Um, Colville, at, at least in Bessendu's reading of Colville, since I'm not to the source, I have to acknowledge that. Um, is principally about sexual imagery within the film uh, and and reading it as a sexual coming-of-age story. And we've already talked about why that's not necessarily something you need to do, but it is something she does. Venzendu also talks about... Well, she, she directly says, Male is not guilty or not as guilty uh, as some of the other filmmakers of his time period and their overt misogynistic reactions to feminism and women's lip. But also, he has framed this movie as coming out during the great moment of women's liberation. And it's not really that. And as Vesendu points out, he's retreated into fairy tales, exotic locations, erotic high art, and this imagined past. Right. Uh, so he's not really directly engaging with those ideas either. <clears throat> so kudos to him for not attacking those. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, you you kind of get a, a sort of a, a <laughs> at best a gentle pat on the back and say, well, good job for not being right. an asshole. Yeah. Uh, but not and really the same thing as like doing a yeah. good job. Not for nothing. The first image of gendered violence we see in this movie is men shooting women in their breasts and murdering them. Uh, the second image, we see a group of women kicking a man in his groin. Uh, so the sexualization of this, <laughs> of that violence is not, not there. Right. 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 So, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, even as it is not overt, right. It is, uh, it is metaphorical, right? I do, way. I do. Uh, you know, there's, I think, a, a, there's a sort of worthwhile note, so I sort of caveat to that violence is that it, if we take the stand, and I think this is generally where I come down, that the the movie is from her perspective, or is meant to be from her Lily's perspective. Yeah. It the way it to me the way that sort of alter things slightly is that like it is at best a childish interpretation of the world. Yes, like. Like Lily is not an is not a mature adult. She does not understand the dynamics 
in the way that like necessarily an adult. Now, mind you, it is it is Molly writing an adult is writing right. a fifteen year old. So you do get the, right. the sort of like secondary layer there. My point is just that yes, there's gender violent like sexual elements to the gender violence, but it is like as we said, it it feels very childish, right? It feels very like ah, this is the way a child understands. When you say battle of the sexes, it's like if I describe battle of the sexes to my eight year old, how would they understand that term, like or try to understand right. that term? Uh, you know, they wouldn't understand. Like they wouldn't come up with a sort of like ah yes yeah, you know, there's is a battle between sort of like the sort of establishment of patriarchy and like the idea of like you know sort of gender liberation and things like that. They would be like, ah, yes, you have described a war, have you not? Like, yes, yes, that yes. involves guns, does I'm, it not? Periphery to what you just said, it is also, uh, we have seen other movies written by men that that purport to be a female perspective on this battle of the sexes that uh, have not been as yes this, believable, very true, in their very presentation true, yeah. of a woman's point of view. Uh, as uh, as I feel this is believable as an actual 14-year-old girl's point of view of, of what's happening. I mean, at worst, I would uh, say it might mindset, be closer right? to a 14-year-old boy's interpretation than a 14-year-old girl's. Maybe. Yeah, there's that too. Uh, but, like, that's still a far cry from what we usually end up with is all I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I don't want to totally excuse Molly because I think it is right to say that, like, it does have problems, right? It has those issues that, you know, the... It does run away from the issue to a certain extent, right? It does retreat into fantasy. It does try. It does sort of decide not to truly engage with the topic, and as such, is sort of not right. really about the topic. Um, right. But that being said, we've just, you and I. I think that one of the things where this comes from is you and I have seen so many bad versions of this at this point. Right. 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 Just right. so. So many bad versions. Like you know what I mean? Like at this point, like anything that's anything that's not outwardly and and terribly atrocious is kind of like a relief. As bad as that sounds, yeah. like oh thank God, at least this one isn't like that. Uh, right. It's kind of like where I where I feel like I come down on. It. It's like oh I'm just so happy it's not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Because it could have been really, really bad. I mean, mean, like, reading the description, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Instead, we have a happy adventure with a a talking pig. Yeah, I like talking pigs. I'm always a fan. (laughs) The the AI that considers this to be in the same universe as, as, as Babe. Babe. It's like, like, ah, yes, spiritual spiritual, uh, predecessor to Babe. Uh, Like, (laughs) fucking writing an article about it. Uh, yeah, I don't, yes. I don't, it's just like, as a large language model, I think that, da, 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 da. it's like, <laughs> fuck off. But no, I, I, I really do think like, I'm, I, I'm legitimately, I legitimately am actually impressed by this movie. I just, I can't, Yeah. I really, I, part of that's probably my own predilections. I do really like things that feel somewhat stream of consciousness. That's always a thing that I found very engaging personally, uh, and, and and especially when you get into the fact that like they're very hard to do in a way that like is engaging for the audience, you know what I mean? Like 
I like stri- like in theory I like string of consciousness things, but oftentimes they're badly done and they're not interesting to watch or engage or you know read or whatever. And this one is probably due to the amount to the editing he did do to the thing to make it not bad, uh, it not being purely string of consciousness. It it is a very good one of those. It feels just the right level of confusing. To the point where I, yeah. I kind of genuinely, I genuinely like what came out. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I just really, I, I'm really quite enamored in many ways. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that's also similar to House in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just a weird movie. I, I the, like. the biggest difference would be is that House yeah. took me about about two to three months of literally not being able to stop thinking about it. Before I really was like, nope, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> like when I first watched House, I yeah. was like, I don't know about this. I'm not sure whether or not I like this or not. I mean, I liked it well enough, but I wasn't sure if I was really like kind of quote unquote, you know, sort of like, for lack of a better term, in love yeah. with it. And then for three fucking months, I literally thought about House at least once per day. And now yeah. it's got to be in like my top 10 favorite movies we've ever watched and fucking like melted my brain somehow. Uh, this one didn't need as much percolation time. I like, it just did it right from the beginning, probably because it didn't have, because it didn't have the tropes of horror. I didn't have to get over the, the hurdle. Like despite yeah. it claiming to be horror on the box, there's zero elements of horror right. in this movie. Uh, so I didn't have any, it didn't, it didn't some- take me as long. There's some weird atmospheric stuff yeah, in but, here, well, I but mean, it's I, atmospheric I, in... You and I have talked about my very weird definition of horror. Yeah. I don't right. consider Alien a horror it movie, is, <laughs> so I don't know. All right. It is atmospheric as any movie ever shot by Sven, Sven Nyquist is <laughs> atmospheric. Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's just... Like, I, you know what you're signing yeah. up for, basically. Uh, on the, it's, on the, it's on the tin, right? It's like, well, yeah. this is what this yeah. man makes yeah. straight up. Right, yeah. And... You know, uh, seeing Nyquist do something uh, for someone who isn't Bergman is very interesting in and of itself. But, uh, but if there's, and, a, you know, we talked yeah. about style, like, can you apply, like, what can you interpret as Molly style? On the other hand, so Nyquist is, despite being doing a completely different director, different movie, I think you could probably still tell. Okay, I think that's fair. Because nothing about this movie would I, watching it with no prior knowledge, I would not ever think, oh, this might be a Bergman. No, 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 but absolutely not. No, 100% no. I might, I might think, I might in watching this think, even if I didn't know who Sven Nyquist was, this is shot by the same guy who shot, uh, uh, Winter light, maybe. Well, and, and uh-huh. so the where I'm kind of coming from it is like, you, it would take me a little while, but like you know, I sort of did that thing with like talking about children of men and stuff. There's a sort of yeah. weird path you could follow where you go, oh, okay, like you have to go down the trees, the the branching, the branches of the tree down to the down to the to the trunk, basically. But you would eventually go, oh, I know why these all feel the same. Because they're all sort of fundamentally influenced by this one person. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. 
And you would right, find out, well, right, some of them right, aren't right. influenced by this one person. Some of these were just made by this fucking one person. And some of these were influenced by films that were influenced by this person. You know what I mean? Like, the tree would branch out, but you would eventually go, oh, I see why all this huge cadre of films all feel the same to me. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it has a lot to do with, like, color and, and contrast and sort of, like, I don't know, the stillness of the camera to a certain extent, even though... And, like, that's not even true in Children of, of, of Men. That fucking camera will not fucking stop moving. Uh, but even then, there's something about right, it. Right, right, right. Um, I think it has to do with, yeah. the, you it, know, but that's more of a color thing than anything right. else. But, uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, also, obviously, you'd never watch Children of Men and think Sven Lindquist might have shot No, no, and, I, and I'm trying to get Alonso. away from the idea that I would think that he shot it. <laughs> yeah. It's more that, like, there's right. a sort of weird sort of pedigree you can start yeah. following where you go, oh, okay, like so-and-so was influenced by so-and-so was influenced by so-and-so. And you would find right. your way right. and say like, oh, there's a sort of root cause somewhere deep down in the sort of soul of cinema yeah. where an entire wing is influenced by one person's style to a certain extent. Right. And certainly, uh, certainly Nyquist and Bergman have a similar relationship to Alfonso Cuaron and his cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubeski, who's, who shot children of men for him among a lot of other right. movies. I, you and I would both I have wonder... to be better at this to do that. You know what I mean? Like we would have to be a million miles deeper into the hole of like understanding <laughs> right, how right, to right, shoot right, right. a movie to do that. At this point, it's mostly vibes because like you and yeah. I neither of you, you neither you nor I has the sort of like pedigree to be like yes I understand what's going on here deeply enough to understand that like okay this is shot in this way by this person doing these things and and messing with color and contrast in this specific way to get this result but it's it's, it's mostly mostly vibes and sort of understanding the like there's a sort of chain of influences that like make art happen right you, you know people nobody makes art in a bubble basically is sort of where it's kind of coming from my favorite image in this movie is right before we go into the old woman's room the final time we get an outdoor shot of the house uh -huh. where the front yard where the front yard is full of sheep and turkeys yes, for some reason so just more sheep and turkeys than we've ever seen, seen in any of the rest life. of the yeah, movie yeah, yeah. uh with no humans around, almost to to the dream logic that perhaps the humans have been turned into all of these sheep right, and turkeys. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the sheep and turkeys are separated. Uh, are are men sheep and women turkeys? Is there something we could go down? Right, well, no, yeah, and you to. just don't. But, you're like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going on there? Because that does correspond to just after a time where... Uh, you know, the violence has, or, or I suppose just before, where the violence has erupted, where brother and sister Lily have, have started right. to fight one another and the war has encroached upon this idyllic place. Unfortunately, your 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 mention of this as, as a possible Adam and Eve thing, which is not something I think Molly was, no, was going I don't think for I, at I all, it's has, just a fucking has made me think a lot yeah. of... It has, unfortunately, made me think about... Uh, mother a lot and some of the parallels this movie has I, with so mother here's the thing i've about never it being an isolated house right i've never yeah. seen mother i it's on my list of like i even though i don't like horror movies i probably need to watch this movie because 
everything I've read about it yeah. is like, oh, this might still be in my wheelhouse in terms of like what it's talking about. Yeah. There's a couple I like, of minutes I, I wonder if this toward the end like Mother. of Mother you shouldn't watch. Right. But yes. I was um, really in my head. Yeah. I was like, what I was watching, I, was, I bet I bet this has a lot yeah. in common with with Mother. Mother Mother is doing very particular things that it does not necessarily succeed at that are very different to what this movie is doing. Uh, but there are definitely some similarities in here too. Um, mostly around it being an isolated house and, and the violence encroaching on that isolated house, uh, from outsiders. Uh, but yeah, um, (laughs) but there's a lot of movies where we could like half, half, half of all Westerns or something like that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Draw that loose of a parallel, but, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, this is a movie where we, we've been doing it for an hour, but it's a movie where talking about interpretation isn't necessarily a thing you want to do. It's more, the movie really is more just a vibe, even as there are things happening and there are obviously real world things that the movie is talking about, but, but the movie itself is sort of just all vibe yeah uh yeah. and not that's there's no problem with that uh yeah yeah i mean the, it's just we uh, don't get we don't get things where we just don't get things like this very often where we we seem actively like well the the, the artist is actively trying to say to like did not i don't know there's like i even sort of lack the vocabulary for it not distance himself from the work but like Make it so that you, as the audience, have to bring something. Not, not right. so, like because it's often the opposite, right? We often talk about like you know the you're you know w- when we talk about film and stuff, we often find ourselves in a situation where we're talking about like, well, my interpretation is sort of my interpretation of this thing, but clearly you know the director had some sort of intentions or something. Where we like talking you know, death of the author and all that, but instead yeah. here it's like, well, no, the a- author actively took out a you know, try to remove himself from it. Yeah. I I don't well, think, I don't think, you know, I don't know that, I don't know whether or not Molle would a, say that he didn't like, I, I don't know. It's, it's not even like. In a weird way, it, in a weird way, the movie then is biblical. It's just metatextually biblical. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in that your approach to reading scriptures, uh, you can't separate yourself from whatever you're bringing to it. There's right. and there's no point in attempting to. Right, right. right. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like <laughs> bringing up scripture reading and stuff. I feel like you this movie fits into where this movie, this movie is borderline like a void comp test for like are you like a religious nutcase or not? Like tell me what this movie is about. <laughs> like I mean we've we've seen a lot of movies no, we could I, do that. I know, with but too, this but... one because this one seems so like to me, this I just keep reading this movie so much as sort of blank canvas in many ways that like it's like okay yeah now tell me the tell me what this movie was about now and it's like whatever you say just would would just it feels like that whatever you said about it would just give me infinite amounts of information about who you are as a person like how do you read right 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 read right, right seemingly metaphorical statements that are not actively and necessarily per se intended to be metaphor. Like they're intended to be understood as metaphorical, but they're not actively written as specific metaphors is a really fascinating position to put people's brains in and say, okay, 
I, I've definitely encountered art that was like this before. This is not the first piece of art that I've encountered. This is a very successful version of this, where you just dump a bunch of like things that feel like metaphors into a box and say, what's this about? And like, because people want to do that, like we sort of kind of can't help ourselves. It's sort of a brand, it's sort of a, for lack of a better term, sort of a innate, innate a human nature thing. You find yourself sort of like reading into things that don't, necessarily per se have a specific intention behind them uh it's just neat i don't know it's just a neat yeah. thing it's just i don't know i'm i'm deeply fascinated by this movie like i don't know that it will burn it a hole into my brain the way house did because like house did a really specific thing to my brain uh but I suspect we might remember this one for a pretty long time. I'm certainly going to remember certain scenes of this movie. I will remember the sheep and the fucking turkey sitting outside in the lawn yeah. for a long time. That is yeah. such a weird scene. Do you know uh, the source of the image of the man and woman that we look at three or four times? No, where no. He is, it seems to be Indian. Uh, and he is cutting off the head of an eagle right. uh, in flight. And obviously, the first time we see it is foreshadowing to to in a, the uh, the brother and sister's violence falling apart and the eagle entering the house. Um, yeah, I was trying to think. If, I can't. Well, Google has you know, failed it, me dramatically. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, with what Molly said about the film... Uh, even if that is making some sort of a, a reference to the to the Gita or something, uh, which I don't think it is, um, it might be making reference oh, to some weird. religious I, writing. I just found it. Yeah, Jatayu is a demigod in Hindu sp- epic Ramayana, who has the form of either an eagle or a vulture. He is the younger son of Aruna, and his wife Shaina, the brother of I'm pronouncing names very very wrong, but here is a link. On Wikipedia, and that I—if it's not that painting, it is a very similar painting. Let me uh, see it real quick. It's oh yeah, it is. Visually slightly it is different. obviously, it is a different painting because in the in what you have shared with me, the wing is being cut right. off, not the not the head. Uh, but it is it is pretty clearly the same, the same source. Um, Ravana and Jatayu. So Jatayu is the bird. But whether or not Mole specifically was trying to reference that myth or just found an image that worked well for right, his right. purposes is a whole other yeah. animal, right? Yes. So, uh, yeah. So within the source material, uh, the epic poem uh, Ramayana, uh, Jatayu is the king of vultures. So the bird in the painting is meant to be a vulture. Whereas the bird we interact with in the film is is actually an eagle, right? So we kind of get into this thing where uh, it's like, okay, how how yeah. much does does Molly even care about where this came from? Right, right, right. Yeah, and it's not just an image that maybe was even in the house when he bought it or something, right? You know? Or he found it at like a, uh, a freaking a flea market or something. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, just good decoration yeah. and like but could kind you, of interesting. Hey. hey. Good on you finding the re- uh, finding the source because well, I I wasn't able to. No, I, I it <laughs> so. was it was not it was sort of a real. That, if you type in the sort of search criteria, there's one that actually yeah. looks right, and everything else is not that. Very clearly, boy, there are so many different paintings uh, of this. Of course, because it's a epic poem and 
you know, it, it, it so, just bothers a lot of paintings of this. Well, something about gendered violence within the context of, of that work then. Um, Ravana slaughtering Jatayu, the vulture, uh, is maybe the title of this work. I've found the actual painting now. It's a chromolithograph by in R. Varma, uh, Ravi Varma, uh, and was uh, from the early 20th century, late 19th century. Anyway, uh, the woman uh, is being kidnapped right. by, by this king uh, and will be held prisoner. Uh, so... And I guess in the painting, actually, the wing is being cut off as well, not the head. Uh, I just misinterpreted it when we saw it in the film. Well, in the now film, it looks like it. the head. Um, it, I, it, yeah. 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 Um, so in any case, uh, it is... Having not read it, uh, if he is killing the king of the vultures while trying to kidnap a woman, it would suggest that the king of the vultures is trying to rescue the woman well, for whatever reason. Well, that seems to be the, the sort of... Uh, story the very yeah. very brief story that we have here yeah so so in that extent um interesting uh how 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 learning anything about that story does not offer us any whatsoever. not even a little bit like <laughs> i'm now just yeah. as baffled as i was before i suspect right i really suspect molly had a painting and he's like this is fucking perfect yeah it's stylistically exactly where we want to be Right, I have slightly more information. I am still just as baffled. Uh, all it does is foreshadow a sword fight with a bird. It's even a different type of bird. Yeah. So, similar sword though. So there's that. But, but yeah. <laughs> and the bird's not even there to stop a kidnapping, as far as we know. Though maybe that's the interpretive lens we should bring to this. That's the foreshadowing. Brother, brother Lily has actually kidnapped sister Lily, and she is a prisoner. Uh, but doesn't seem to be the case in the story at all, or like in the movie at all. So it's no, yeah. no, almost no, no, almost certainly not. Except for the fact that they start fighting at the end, uh, and she kicks his butt, and then the war arrives. So there's that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Who knows? And honestly, who cares? It was a fun watch, even without uh, knowing any of that. Yeah, I mean, it probably it probably uh, isn't helping. Honestly, it's probably making things worse. In many ways, knowing right. more information. <laughs> yes. Uh. I mean, uh, uh, more information about specifically, I think, is probably, like, I'm really going to, like, I really feel like probably not relevant. You know what I mean? Like, honestly speaking. Right. Like, I could be wrong. It's definitely possible, wrong all the time, but boy, it probably, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily relevant to the, uh, to the story or, or the lack thereof, right. I should say. So I don't know. <laughs> right. Oh man, this movie is quite a ride. Uh, I'm, it is quite a ride. Yeah. Trying to, trying to unwrap, like unlock the puzzle of this movie in your mind is a, is a challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, one one reason is that it's not even necessarily meant as a puzzle. No, it's not. That's it's exactly not, it. That's it's a, not a riddle to be solved. Well, it's it's just it's, a, it's a, a like I said. I think yeah. it's pretty much just a box with metaphors poured in, or or seeming yeah. metaphors. I mean, poured even in. even other movies I've seen that can be described as operating on dream logic 
are sort of something to be solved in much more overt ways than this is. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, this is just, I don't know. Uh, I think that to a certain extent, this is Molly engaging with ideas of uh, second wave feminism in this battle of the sexes. And I think that to the extent that that is true about the movie, Vincent Du is accurate to say that Molly is a little bit of a coward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. With I think that ideas. is a very fair thing yeah. to say. That like, yeah, you made a movie about, you know, feminism, but you haven't really made a movie about, you know what I mean? You've kind of dodged right. around the issue completely is, is yeah. a very fair thing right. to, to and say again, about it. And again, we've seen people make bad movies about feminism. Yeah. So at least some somebody not making a bad movie is, is a breath of fresh air. A male director not making. A yeah, bad I movie. mean that's. Um, that's I mean, obviously, we could to male directors. Like you know, we've we've only ever seen one Catherine uh, Brillet film. I'm pretty sure we've only seen one uh, Fat Girl. Um, unless we watched another one more recently, and I forgot. But anyway. Uh, her first movie, uh, whatever you remember about Fat Girl, it is it very well. I kind of this, it. but kind of <laughs> more. One, it's not a dream state; it's it's more realistic. But Berlat often makes films about young women and sexuality and gendered violence. Uh, and her very first film, A Real Young Girl. Uh, her first film that she directed is also about those same things uh, and came out in 1976, just two years after this movie, right? Or one year after this movie. So uh, there were many, <laughs> as is often the case, uh, even, even as we experience what may be the best example we have of a man making this sort of movie, uh, Really, just get out of the way because a woman's going to do it better. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... well, that's why. That's why, like, it, it, and to a certain extent, like, that's why I, I don't really think even trying to read this as a sort of interpretation of like the relationship between men and women is very much of a even a useful paradigm to view this movie under. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not like not because it's not that's not what he was doing. It's just that, like that's such a not considerably important part of what's happening here that like in the end it feels more uh i think almost like a red hair i think there are four i think there are four things that are unequal pillars in why Male made this film geisha or however you say Teresa's last name uh i think her suggestion to make a giza giza i think giza's suggestion giza there we go I think I think Gizeh's suggestion to make a movie with no dialogue. I think the desire to make a movie set around his house for whatever reason that might be. Uh, I think uh, his desire to work whatever he's working on to work uh, Alice in Wonderland motifs into it. Mm-hmm. And also somewhere under there in the stream of consciousness thing is also thinking about 
the politics of the of the France he finds himself in at the time. Right, and I think that's true. Uh, it's just you know when you all sort of smash and that's all that there. together, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's definitely something you could talk about, and I think it's not. It's she's like I said, we, I I don't think that that interpretation is wrong. It's just sort of like yeah, it's at best one of the pillars of this movie, uh, as you talked about. Um, I would actually say probably yeah. I would lean most heavily on Alice in Wonderland more than anything else. It's sort of like yeah, of course. The sort of There's key of- factor for understanding this is it it operates in much the way that that Alice in Wonderland does. Even down to the fact that, like, I mean, the biggest difference being that Alice in Wonderland has actual purposeful metaphors in it, and like, right, that are like right, done right. on purpose. They are they're dream logicy and and weird and goofy and and definitely drug addled. Maybe I've been, always been a bit confused about that whether or not he was or was not on drugs, because I've read yeah. sources that say both, and I don't know which one's the right answer. But the point being that like that same sort of like, well, this doesn't all necessarily fit together perfectly there's lots of gaps that that you have as the audience had to fill in but you, I, this even has less purposeful metaphor than than, than alice in wonderland does right so. yeah to a certain extent i think the carol work it's more aptly could be described by is, is more like jabberwocky in that it is just a lot of nonsense right uh but at the same time zazie is a lot of nonsense right there's not a lot of non sequitur here. It all sort of works together. Well, I, that's what I think. What makes uh, it Alice in Wonderlandy esque is the fact that like mm-hmm. our character flows from state to state without things being like without having to do jumps the way that Zazie does, right? Like Zazie purposely right. acts right. like a cartoon, and like we experience the character jumping from point to point with no in between, right? Our our our, char- our main character Lily does move through the world in a way that makes sense. Yeah. It's just a world that doesn't make any sense. Does that, you know what I mean? Like, whereas Zazie is different yeah. in the sense that Zazie operates purely on cartoon logic where like you're here five seconds later, you can be there and there, you don't need to ask the question why or how they're not relevant. Whereas here, Lily exists in this world. It's just a nonsensical world, right? Which makes it feel very Carol-esque. The difference also being, though, that, like, again, Lewis Carroll purposely wrote metaphors into his story to talk about things that he wanted to talk about. Whereas I can't necessarily, per se, except for some of the feminism stuff that we talked about, that Molly put a lot of purposeful, directly meaningful metaphors in here. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the world feels the same. The world feels very similar. Um yeah, definitely. Because Alice does go from point to point, right? Like, she does travel from place to place. There's no point at which, like, Carol's like, and then suddenly she was in this other, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it Alice, in theory, lives in the world that she's in. Uh, right. Except for maybe a dream right. or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it is also yes. a dream. But like, and, and similarly here, Lily... Seems to be living in a world right, that is a, it, that that also may be a dream, right? I mean, the big uh, thing that separates the, yeah. any movie that's about dream, like kind of about dream, operates on dream logic and actual dream logic is your dreams work more like cartoons than they do like real world. Like you don't ever actually travel from place to place in your dreams. You're just like here and then you're there and then you try to interpret it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, whereas the closest we get to that sort of thing happening in this movie are people suddenly disappearing. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. Uh, the funny thing about this movie is other people follow that logic. Right. Like, but but Lily doesn't. Lily always exists because Lily is our perspective character, right? Everybody else is is mutable at best, right? Like, they can exist or not exist at any given time, depending on whatever Lily's thinking about or however... Molly wants things to work in that scene. Everybody else does. Nobody else has to follow rules. Only Lily has to follow rules. Yeah. Um, I am surprised at how many people describe this movie as very funny or hysterical. That's a weird. Uh, that's a weird interpretation of the movie. I I would say it is. There are yeah. moments that are silly that you're like, oh okay, but I never really found myself like laughing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's definitely fun. The old woman is fun. Uh, when she starts describe, maybe, maybe in my watching of this, I was too intent on trying to figure out, on trying to solve the movie, to engage with it as comedy. Um, but when the first image you have in a movie is a badger getting run over by a car, uh and a guy on the radio talking about sin. Right. Uh, I'm not looking for comedy necessarily. Right. From the I get don't go. know. I, I like. I like comedy wise. I've I've tried to retroactively like go back and think about like what scenes I would think are funny. Yeah. And I don't know what they would be. I don't know. Right. Like, right. I, again, I found the movie engaging. It was interesting. It was kind of had a sort of yeah. Like. The other interpretation of not not fully Greek interpretation of comedy, clearly, but like the sort of like middle road, middle of the road, where you're like, well, this is a comedy in the sense that like strange things happen, and we don't have to like care. Like, there's there's going to be no funerals in this movie. Um, Like, I don't know. It's but certainly people die, and and it's not. I don't know. It's not like I don't. Nothing would make me laugh out. Like maybe in French, it's just fucking hilarious. Oh wait, no, it's in English. Shit, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> right. was like, my my go to for like Molly doesn't work. It's like I don't know. I didn't, there's no lines in the movie. Yeah, it's hard for me to tell because I also watch every movie with subtitles, regardless of whether or not it's yeah. in English or French or whatever language. Well, and so I, uh, I ended up reading that's a, most that's of the movie anyway. A smart thing to do here because then you then you actually realize that the pig is talking instead. Of, Absolutely, the I could not. Voice is so if you, if you had told me that that if I had not had subtitles, I would not. Have I known. I skipped back because as as we went through that scene, I kept thinking, did that pig just say milk? And then bounced back to right, see if yeah. if there was a. Well, sentence you just got to adopt um, my practice, which is I read every movie I watch. I have no, always read it. Always because well, like it. It, it, I my yeah. my. Room is not set up in a good way. My ears are not good anymore. I cannot understand the words that are coming out of most people's mouths <laughs> on TV. I get you. Well, especially with the I things that they've done you. in recent movies anyway with like dy- like sound dynamics. Yeah, like, sound mixing is bad. Yeah, yeah it's like you can't fucking understand anything anybody says anyway. Um, This movie, interestingly, maybe, is written by Louis Buñuel's daughter-in-law. Okay. Uh Joyce Buñuel co-wrote the script. Okay, um, pedigree there—you can kind of feel that. Yeah, it is not surreal in the way Louis Buñuel films are surreal. 
Certainly not Louis Bubel films of the 70s, but even older Bunel stuff that we've seen, something like Exterminating Angel or Simon of the Desert, uh, his, his Mexican work, um, are closer to this than the surrealness of right. Discreet Charm or, or Phantom of Liberty or Obscure, <laughs> Obscure Object of Desire. And well, stuff yeah, like those, those ones kind of get um, into it. They're, they're but, almost sort of skits, right? Like little, little yeah. sketches of, of, right, of right, 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 surrealness. Right, right. Whereas the other earlier works actually like have inter like interconnections, right? Things flow from point to point. Uh, but yeah. I would but say, but even s- something like the go ahead, even something like the exterminating angel is. It's not surrealism just for the sake of your surrealism. It's not Dada. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Uh, I think Bunuel still had a point in what he was saying. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Whereas here, I I really think Molly's on the level when he says there's kind of no, it's just it yeah. just exists. Well, and I think that's I think that's where uh, some of that that fucking frustration. Well, here's the thing: I think like kind of like trying to tap into what Molly's kind of thinking about when he's kind of complaining about it later, right? Is like if a painter sits down and makes a purely abstract work, and yeah, eventually people will stop asking when he says, "Look." It's purely abstract. I just wanted to paint. You know what I mean? Right. And like people accept stream of consciousness from painters and 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 even musicians, I think, in a way that they don't accept from certain kind of other art. Like they don't accept it from authors either, right? Like a write a a person writing a book who does it stream of consciousness will essentially sort of be hounded to their grave. By people being like, no, no, that's impossible. You didn't just want to sit down and write and like stream of consciousness your way through it. You're going to constantly be asked like, well, what were you, what were you writing? Because there's a conception that those things have to be planned so much and so far in advance that they can't just be purely top of mind. They can't just be purely like whatever came to mind. Um, and I think yeah. movies are seen in many ways the same way in the sense that like, this sort of has a I just wanted to paint vibe to it, right? Like it's like, well, right. I just started painting whatever popped into my head next. Sort of in a sort of you know, within yeah. limits, right? Because it is written. It did get written. But then again, like books right. can be written this way too, and people don't believe it, right? Like people don't believe that you can just sort of sit down and start writing whatever comes you know, whatever comes out, right? And that like you right. can just sort of that can just be the work. Again, like somehow people yeah. understand paintings as more temporal and more short term, and so like never mind the fact that they take forever to paint. Yeah. Like it does take a long time to paint a painting, but people conceive of them as singular items rather than long term efforts, and so people accept like same with songs, right? Like people accept music being completely abstract and you know purely surreal, abstract, and like. uh you know, people widely accept jazz as being completely uh, improvis- improvisational, right? Like they don't, yeah, they don't ask this jazz musician, like, yeah. So, I'm going to need you to explain this song on a deeper level, please. You that you just essentially made up, <laughs> um, and they and they, I, I don't know. This is just sort of my interpretation, but I feel like painting they generally t- right. treat it the same way. So, but they don't accept that films can be that way. They just take too many people too much time yeah. for people to accept that they could exist that way. And to a certain extent, they are right, right? They take a lot of time. They take a lot of people 
Yeah. So so last week we talked a little bit how the art director on Zazie, William Klein, uh, felt like uh, Male was too French intellectual to really let go right. and be as crazy as Klein felt the source material needed this movie to be. Right. There are ways then where I feel like, despite the fact he hasn't said anything to this end, this is Male sort of maybe trying to make a Stan Brakhage film, but not having the courage to go far enough either. Well, I think probably not quite to Brakhage because just Brakhage is so not. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Right? Like purely art film, right? Like not not art film in like the way we use art film, but like a film that is just a painting, a piece of yeah, art in the way. Yeah. yeah. I, I would agree. My my thought process on that is like Klein sort of was so yeah, oh man, this is complicated, but like Klein was kind of getting into the idea that that Molly isn't wasn't wild enough. That Molly couldn't let go of the right. rules enough. And I feel like in some ways this is sort of a this you could almost see this as a response to that thought process was like, No, no, no. I just work in a way that like I don't want to break the rules of cinema, I wanna break the rules of making a move like of storytelling you know what i mean or something to that effect right like i still want my camera to be like a comprehensible in a comprehensible position where the, the audience could see what's happening because like the thing about climb was i was never very clear on like what what molly wouldn't do right you know what i mean it was a very sort of nebulous sort of like well he just wouldn't he wouldn't let go enough and it's like yeah but like what did you want to happen that that couldn't happen you know what I mean? Like, was it cartoony enough? Maybe, but like, I don't know exactly what you know. We we tried to talk. We tried to unpack that last week, and we didn't. We weren't terribly successful. Um, right, and, right, and, right, and, right, right. And this feels like, you know, it seems like you know, we if we sort of try to take each director in their own right as their own sort of author, and they they like, I think Molly's quite happy with like some of the rules, but not quite happy with other rules, right? Like, there's certain rules, like, you know, oh, yes, like, you know, I said like this, like, making my film and making it look good and being able to, like, people look at it and say, this looks good is something I do want. What I don't want is somebody forcing me to write a comprehensible plot. <laughs> right, right. I do still want to just show whatever I want to fucking show. Um, and, and so I think, like, you know, taking him, you know, obviously you brought Brackage, and Brackage is some, I, I both love and hate Brackage at the same time. Like, both of those emotions operate very deeply. I love some of Brackage's work. Yes. I also think Brackage is a complete asshat in many ways, right? <laughs> like, but, like, is uh, Brackage has personally been very somebody I find very influential in sort of, like, the art of, yeah. like, of visuals, right? of moving visuals. But like, um, Molly is operating in a very different vein where he's like, well, no, I believe in the rules of how a camera works. Yeah. And how like you can record film, like, like render onto film. Like, whereas Brackage is like, you know what I think would make a great filmmaking tool? My oven. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. No. Um, well, I guess 
I only compare to Brackage, not obviously the visuals are very different. Um and and even no matter no matter how much of a coward Male might be in pursuing an idea. Uh and again, that's Klein. Uh um and maybe a, a little to the essayist this week too. But uh uh, if he was trying to do something like Braggage, it would there would be more experimentation here. Um, this is narratively experimental without being visually experimental, whereas obviously Braggage is someone who's trying to be narratively and visually experimental. Right, and, and Braggage is in willing his movies to that have the, any sort of narrative. Right, Braggage is willing right. to chuck the narrative out the window <laughs> if it suits his purposes at any moment. Right, and and right, and, and like not plenty, even bother to be plenty of his movies are non-narrative. Right. right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. This is there there are certainly other people doing experimental film who who I could have brought up other than Brackett. No, I know. I, I, I just like the, when, when we think the of, wrong one to bring yeah, up. Yeah, when we think of uh, experimental film like, like yeah. I know who to th- but, bring up. I'll bring up you know, yeah, Brackett is so much that, right? Uh right, no, I right, I know. Right. I, I was yeah. just saying that like it, we don't have a lot of good comparison points just in general because We've not seen a lot right. of, we have not in the Criterion Collection encountered very many of this kind of work where the person's like, nope, fuck you and your plot. I don't care. I want to yeah. do this thing that is interesting to me that is, that is, follows, as you pointed out, visual rules, follows the rules of making a movie, but doesn't necessarily yeah. give a shit about like the other conventions of movie making. What with like the audience being able to understand what like what and why things are happening. Follows the conventions of film, not necessarily conventions of making a movie right, per yeah. se. And, and yeah, but exactly. Yes. It, it's it's yeah. It, it is it is definitely in. It definitely understands. Like Molly doesn't want to get rid of the idea that like you as the audience could sit down and watch this, right? Um, right. And now, and that, like, now it's interestingly, visually interpretable. Interestingly, and this may be the last thing to talk about, uh, and not much to say about it. Male was scared about that, right? And, okay, and in fact, considered releasing a one-hour version of this movie. I saw that. That was interesting. I was like, I can see you get to the end and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> We're fucked, right? Which it did. Cutting forty minutes out of this movie. Is. Would it make it more comprehensible? That's for damn sure. Right. You could edit it down to like a story. I'm sure you could. You could just take the knife to it enough, rearrange bits, and then suddenly it would tell a story. Um, But it would also ruin the movie completely, so I don't know. <laughs> it would also defeat the purpose entirely, so I don't know. Right. I wonder how serious he was about that or if that was just sort of a... You know, that's always the thing about context when we come to the kind of quotes and stuff that we get. It's like, okay, well, like, was that an offhand economy? Or, like, did he spend two weeks of his life trying to do that and then discovered it wouldn't work? And it was like, ah, shit, I guess we just, we got, this is what we got. We're doing it. It's what we wanted to make anyway. It's a mess, but I'm trying to access the source of the quote, which is a TCM article. But unfortunately, since all of the problems with TCM and Warner and and everybody, TCM's website is essentially broken. Right. So now uh, you need the archive.org the version of it. Yeah. 
Well, when I click the link from Wikipedia, it sends me to a login screen for the admin of TCM.com, which is obviously not where I want to be. Uh, I have found it. It does still exist on TCM's website after I scroll past the uh, CSS error. Uh, <laughs> I can read it. But um, Molly had... Uh, <laughs> to... To quote from the essay, which is uh, written by Jeff Stafford uh, on TCM.com, um, quote, Even Louis Malle admits that many of the choices he made in the film were intuitive and not scripted in a traditional manner. Quote, within the quote. It was one of my great flops at the box office, he admitted. You can always expect a miracle, but I knew it was a difficult film. The fact that Black Moon was a full-length film made it difficult. This is something I considered seriously in the editing, cutting it down. I even had a cut, which was just one hour. I'd taken a lot of scenes, and I'd taken out a lot of scenes that didn't quite work. So I wonder what scene, what forty minutes of scenes he thought didn't quite work. I don't know. It's very interesting. I, yeah, it's a very yeah. fascinating. Like, well, and that's like one of those things where it's like well now we're here we are right and it's like okay well i don't know what you would take out of this to that would make it better i i quite i quite like it the way it is i don't really want I'm yeah glad you didn't interesting to think about um yeah anyway molly does love the film and and uh um that tcm.com essay goes on to point out that uh molly insists that it's always incru- included in any retrospective of his work that that it definitely gets in there uh but yeah i i love that tcm.com is breaking as so my it looks like a php error actually is what's popping up yeah i was trying to like anyway. look at it on the archive. But, I, I do have the archive.org you know the wayback machine version of it just quite yeah. um it took me a while to get broken to it. itself no sure. it, it actually like, yeah. because it was published in 2014 it's just old enough web where like there's nothing broken on the page you can just there read the whole fucking page um there you go it's actually oh, kind of nice it's like uh, oh wow the internet yeah. used to be usable crazy it's uh it's about time we should pull this one to a close again as we've already said this is a movie where uh, if we wanted to walk down different interpretive uh, pathways, we could do so for hours on end. Uh, but we've got to we've got to make this something listenable. So let's let's stop now. No, um, I I say we ruin we, talk- we ruin we ruin our own podcast. We're not doing a nine hour podcast. Neither neither of us have time to record that right no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> I I, I want to eat lunch. Uh, we've been talking about Black Moon from nineteen seventy five. Uh, directed by Louis Malle. Next week, we're staying in France and jumping back a decade with Leon Morin Priest, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville. Melville, we have a conflicted relationship with over our years of watching Melville films. Thank you so much for listening to Lost of Criterion. I'm, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Overtard-Dorgan. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts Lee Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>